0: Is gender really a thing? The answer to these questions depends on what we mean by the term gender. What does it mean? Throughout most of world history, gender was merely a scientific term. The English word for gender is taken from the Latin term Genus, which simply means kind or species. As the word is used in Genesis chapter 1, verse 25, where the Bible says, God made the animals of the earth according to their kind, and the livestock according to their kind, and everything that crawls on the ground according to its kind. The scientific definition of gender is simply kind or it could be type or sex. And so according to Genesis chapter five and verse two, we see that God made humankind and God made our sex. Male and female, he created them and he blessed them and called them humans or humankind, gender, when they were created. God made our species and God made our sex. Male and female is our more technical, biological designations. Humanity or humankind describes our species. It used to be not long ago that when you got an application, sometimes they would ask you for your sex, sometimes they would ask you for your gender, but both answers were the same. Male, I'm a male. Sex, M gender, M. That wasn't very long ago. Because what they were referring to was your scientific, biological gender. God made your sex, God made your scientific gender, but throughout scripture, God does not refer to us as male and female. Instead, God calls us man and woman. And just to be thorough, We have to ask this question, just to be thorough. I know we already know the answer, but I want to be as thorough as I can for those who may come across this video in the the future. The question is, who named Adam man? And who called Eve woman? We all know the answer to the question, but it has to be explained. Genesis chapter two and verse seven, we learn that God called Adam man. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living person. God gave Adam the designation of man. But who decided that Eve would be called woman? I know we're a Bible reading church. Who who decided that Eve would be called woman? If there are any feminists in the house today, you will want to brace yourself for the answer. Because according to the book of Genesis chapter two, verse 23, it was Adam who called Eve woman. Let's read it together. Then the man said, at last, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman. because she was taken out of man. Woe man, taken out of man. Adam named the woman, I like to say that. God named Adam man, but Adam was responsible to decide what Eve should be called, because she was taken from man every man in the house would feel real good about that fact but if there are any male chauvinists in the house maybe you don't want to poke your chest out too fast because Paul the Apostle seems to level the playing field in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 12 when he says for as the woman originated from the man so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. Don't don't poke your chest out too fast. (laughs) The playing field has been even, and maybe, maybe not so even. Both the man and the woman originate from God. So while the first woman came from a man, every other human being after her has come from her own body. Wow. From the man's side came one person, woman. But from the woman's womb has come forth every human soul that exists in the world today and that has ever existed. That's amazing. And for anyone who might be keeping score, that means man, one. Women, 10 billion. Maybe the playing field isn't so even. That is the wonder of womanhood. That is the majestic honor and privilege that God has bestowed on most of the female sex. The ability to conceive and bring new life into the world is probably the greatest superpower among human souls. Think about it for a minute. The chair that you're sitting in is the result of a man and a woman coming together in sex the building that we're standing in comes from the result of a man and a woman engaging in sex. Every man-made thing in the world is the result of a man and a woman coming together in sex. Think about that. That is the greatness (laughs) of the man and the woman when they come together. That is the wonder of womanhood. It even blew Adam's mind. Adam says in Genesis chapter three and verse 20, now the man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. I don't like these debates where we're talking about who should be called woman and who should be called. These are not words you just throw around. These are not words you just inherit because of a feeling. These are sacred words. The mother of all living. This makes the woman a sacred sex. And for me, this is why I cannot bestow the title of woman on anyone who just wants it. It's not that cavalier of a thing. The title of man and the title of woman are divinely bestowed. And man does not have the power nor the authority to bestow these titles at will. They do not belong to us. They belong to God. God called Adam man. Adam called Eve woman. And so we've answered one part of the gender question. Who made your biological gender, species, and sex? God made it. And believe it or not, this is how the word gender was understood all the way up until 1955. Up until 1955, gender always and only meant your species and your sex. That's all it ever meant. Until 1955. In 1955, John Money was a professor of sexology, sexology, believe it or not, at John Hopkins University. And he decided to use the term gender to describe the different characteristics between a man and a woman. It had never been used that way before. In other words, this whole gender movement is a fairly new thing, a new kid on the block. For thousands of years, we did not use gender in this way. This entire movement is a baby on the grand world stage. And some man, one man by himself makes the decision that he is going to expand the definition of gender, not only to be scientific and verifiable, but sociological. Dr. Money suggested that gender is a range of characteristics. Listen to that. A range of gender spectrum. He's making the gender spectrum, 1955. It is a range, gender is a range of characteristics pertaining to femininity and masculinity and differentiating between the two. This is where things start to get a little confusing. A little tiring and that's the only reason I gave you guys notes today because I know this is confusing. It is very confusing. Maybe even intentionally so. This is where things start to get confusing. God made our sex. God called Adam man. God called Eve, Adam called Eve woman. But who described man as masculine? And who decided that women were feminine? Who made that decision? The water starts getting muddy and murky right here. Who decided that we're saying the same words but we're not necessarily meaning the same thing? (laughs) And so that's what we need to do. We need to make sure we're all understanding the same, using the same words and, and applying the same meaning to the words that we use. Otherwise you cause mass confusion. And that's what we have right now. Even in the sexual revolutionary movement, there is mass confusion. I'm watching interviews on college campuses asking men, young men and women, what is a man, what is a woman? They can't even answer the basic question of life because the university is pushing this gender thing and so I don't know what a man is. I watched an interview where a man said to a young lady, if I tell you I'm a woman and you're looking at me right now, what would you say? She would say, good for you, good for you, you're a woman. This is serious business. Because in 20 years, those people in the college are going to be CEOs of organizations. They're going to be running the world. They're gonna be politicians. They don't even know what a man is. They don't even know what a woman is. So how can you possibly defend the right, you don't even know who people are. This is the world that is being created before our very eyes. This is dangerous, this is confusing and it has to be confronted, it has to be discussed. People made of masculinity and femininity. And it brings us to the more contemporary definition of gender, on the UK government's website, because the UK is far more advanced in this entire sexual movement than America is, amazingly. On the UK government's website, gender is defined as a social construction. Stop right there. Let's just stop right there. Gender is defined as a social construction. And with these initial words, a social construction, this should let every Christian know that this, whatever they're about to say, does not apply to the believer. This is a social construction. In the church we would just say this is a worldly philosophy. This doesn't even pertain to Christians as far as I'm concerned. Whatever this definition of gender is, they're about to say no Christian is obliged to aspire to it. It is a social construction. It is a list of characteristics established by the world and for worldly purposes. But Paul the Apostle tells us in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. Bottom line, social construction out. Do not be conformed, do not comply with worldly philosophies. That's our instruction. Do not follow the world's patterns for living. Do not try to fit the world's mold of what constitutes man and woman based on worldly labels. It is a social construction created by fallen man and not instituted by God, and therefore we can take it, we can leave it, it is neither here nor there. One thing we cannot do is allow ourselves to be defined by it. We do not take our definitions from society, we take our definition from the word of God. And in the word of God, masculinity and femininity are not a thing. It is a social construction, something that we made up. Here's another definition of of social gender. This comes from the Gender Innovations website. Their job is to help young men and young women transition This is their role. Here's their definition of gender. Gender is shaped by social and cultural norms and expectations of behavior. So that to ascribe to someone the label of masculine or feminine is in a sense to box them in and to restrict their personality growth. To confine them to worldly expectations, roles and attributes that have been arbitrarily assigned to their sex. That sounds really good. I can walk with them on that point. This is a social construct. Gender is a social construct. It is neither here nor there. I do not have to abide by it, but the way they're using the term. The way they're using the term is to say that. Society is trying to tell you what a man is and you can't allow them to do that. Society is trying to tell you that you're a man and you can't allow them to call you a man. They're trying to restrict you and box you in. You don't have to be a man because you have sexual organs. You can be whatever you want to be. Be liberated, be set free from this. The the shackles of biological sex, that's what they're saying. And they go even further than that. I'm telling you guys every day for the last few weeks, I'm immersing myself in this culture because I need to understand where they're coming from. I'm immersing myself in it. And the deceptions and the cunningness are are, are mind-blowing. They tell you first, your mother and father can't look at you when you're born and tell you you're a male or a female. You need to break away from what they think of you and be who you're supposed to be. Now they say, society can't tell you the difference between a boy and a girl. You have to make that decision for yourself at eight years old. You gotta, you gotta do this, thing. It's rebellion. But at this point, it's not rebellion against God, it's just rebellion against society because I agree that society does not have the capability to tell me what a man is by by his characteristics or by his behavior. I totally agree. But we're talking about social gender and that's where it gets confusing. So we have to take scientific gender. I am a human and I am a male and we put it over here. It is sacred. We're not going to discuss gender as sex. We're talking about social only. It is not up for debate. It is not up for negotiation. It is obvious by appearance alone. It's not up for debate. You can't change it. But a social construct is simply a concept that exists not in objective reality, but as a result of human interaction. A socially constructed gender exists because, watch this, socially constructed gender exists because society, human beings agree that, it's, that it exists. Society has to agree to the construct. You just can't come to the world and give us a new construct and we're going to say, okay, no, society has to agree on this new social construct. And for the last 30 years, the community has been trying to get people to agree with this social construct to no avail. And so now they've turned the tables and instead of coming to individual people in society, let's go to government and get government to enforce my pronouns you ever ask yourself the question why are these pronouns so important why do you care about a pronoun you have to call me they and you have to call me he and if you don't my feelings are gonna be hurt that sounds so childish it just sounds childish my feelings are gonna be hurt if you don't call me uh, a shoe a boot like really are you kidding me this is where we've come why are pronouns so important I'll tell you why pronouns are so important Pronouns are important because for this societal construct to work, it must have society's agreement. And so if I can force you to start calling me she, and everybody has to obey these rules, I can force society's agreement. Without the agreement of society, the movement is going to fail. That's why they need participation from everybody in order to make this unreality a reality that only exists within society and has no objective reality to it they want to reconstruct society here's the question should the church care I don't care I don't care if you change can we construct society I don't belong to society that's not the concern the church's only concern is that when you start playing around with sacred words, we have to have a problem. We have to have a conversation because these words to you are just basic social words. To the church, these are theological and biblical words that we will not move from, period. We can't. We have no authority to. And let me say something to my young people today. Let me say something because this is, this is really interesting. This is the truth from an old man. Take it from me. Anytime I need your affirmation for me to be who I am, maybe what I'm saying I am, I'm not. If I need, if I desperately need you to call me this pronoun in order for me to believe that I am what I'm saying I am, maybe I'm not certain about who I am. Self-confident people who have chosen their own path in this world do not look to the external world to affirm what they believe about themselves. If you believe it, you don't care what I call you. I'm a black man. I was down in Mississippi. A man came in the store, he used the N-word, but he didn't use it at me, but he said it while I was standing there. When he walked out, the, the, customer, the guy behind the counter apologized. I'm so sorry about using the N-word. I don't care if he used the N-word, the P-word, the M-F-word. I don't care what word he used. It's not what you call me that matters, baby. It's who I am, and I know who I am. (laughs) So as far as I'm concerned, he was talking to the wall. When you're confident in who you are, you're not looking for outside affirmation. You know who you are. Young people, get that. Stop letting this bullying keep you up late at night, filled with anxiety. If you know who you are, stand on who you are. Even if you believe a lie about yourself, stand on it. I'm gonna say it again. Even if you believe a lie about yourself, if that's what you believe, then stand on it. Here's what Jesus said in the book of Revelation. I would rather you be hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Jesus is saying, I would rather you be a saint, a true committed saint, or be a true committed sinner. If you're in the middle trying to play the game and you're uncertain about everything, Jesus said, I'll spit you out of my mouth, you're not sure of yourself. And asking me to say that pronoun proves to me that that movement, those people in that movement, most of them are not sure about the path that they are choosing and they need my external affirmation They need to look at me and have me be their mirror to reflect back to them a positive affirmation about themselves. If you need that from society, you will surely fail. All men are liars. You do not depend on external people to tell you who you are or to make you feel good about who you said you are. I talked about this last week. I'm going to say it again. When you go down these rabbit trails of life, you become emotionally underdeveloped. Emotionally underdeveloped. And so if I don't call you what you want to be called, you start crying, are you serious? I'm hurt. Everybody just gets hurt now. And so you can't say anything because you don't want to get hurt. Come on, man. What kind of fragile people are we building? This is not good. If you are going to be a thing, then be that thing. Don't depend on me to tell you that you're doing it right. It's your decision. And, if, and, and the young people, listen again. If you are not sure about the sexual path that you're going to take, if you're not sure about it, stop moving. Don't go to the left. Don't go to the right, just stand still. There is no rush to make these choices. If you're not certain, don't make any decisions. That's wisdom. If you're unsure, be still, and wait until you have further clarification as to who you are. Because if you make the decision to go down a path, then turn around to me and tell me that now I must affirm the path that you have chosen, You're barking up the wrong tree. You chose the path. If you weren't sure about it, you shouldn't have taken it. Don't turn around and make your emotional stability my responsibility, it is not. You're responsible for the choices you make. You're responsible to support yourself with the choices you made. And if you can't support yourself in the choices you've made, maybe you shouldn't be making the choice. That is fatherly wisdom. Here's the thing about social constructs. Social constructs evolve over time as more and more people buy in to the concept. Social buy-in is not easy to achieve because people commit to adhering to some new social role are also committing of their time and of their energy. And the, the question that society has with every new social reconstruction that comes along is, what's in it for me? here's the problem that the sexual movement is having. They're coming to the world with a list of demands of what you need to do to make me feel good about myself. And the world is saying, okay, what's in it for me? That's how society works. Society is not changing the rules because you feel bad. Society is only going to change the rules and restructure itself if it can see the benefit to the larger society, the benefit to the greater good. That's how social constructs work. So when a few people come to us telling us to change our entire grammatical system to to, to accommodate their personal needs, emotional needs, the world is saying, okay, now we can do that, but what's in it for us? And that's the arrogance of the movement. Because the movement turns around and say, there's nothing in it for you, but if you don't do it, I'm gonna say you're a phobe and you hate me and everybody's going to cancel you. You're trying to change the social construct by threat, by intimidation, by coercion, and it will never work. For the last 30 years, the community has been making progress in society. In the late 80s and early 90s, I was a proponent of the gay rights bill. I stood on street corners for them. I supported the movement because I believe that every human being has a right to food and to shelter and to not be discriminated against. That is justice. I stood with them in that. I voted according to that. But these new demands, These new demands are asking for something more. You're not just asking for equal rights anymore. You're not just asking for a seat at the table anymore. You are demanding that I change my world view to suit your imagination that is disrespectful, that is dishonorable, and that is going nowhere. Not just for the Christian, but for any common sense person. That's not going anywhere. Because society does not change by coercion or by threat. Society changes as you can demonstrate to the world what's in it for them. It must be a win-win situation. That's wisdom. And for the first time in 30 years, listen to this, this is very interesting. For the first time in 30 years, the community is actually losing the support of the American people. For the first time since the gay rights bill, the community is losing the support of the larger society, and why? Because you are beginning to impose your values and your world system on other people, on sovereign human beings. You are beginning to demand that the objective reality submit and bow down before your imagination. You've gone too far now. Now you've become offensive. You say that and people say, oh, you're a fool." That's why you're a fool. You can stop throwing the labels at me. I'm teaching you how society works. You can like it or not. Society is not going to change because you're mad. That is not the way this works. And to think so is immature. And it demonstrates that you're making decisions that are too big for you. And you need to back up and sit down. underdeveloped people who don't know how society works, how society works, accusatory and demanding. But the world does not easily bow to tyrants. And the Church of Jesus Christ bows to no man. We bow our knee to Jesus Christ and his word alone. and We will not bow to your emotions. We will not bow to your feelings. It is an ineffective strategy. And listen, so I'm I'm reading a lot of stuff. I'm gonna throw this out there because because I talk about the community as if they're all like this. I've been reading a lot of things and looking at a lot of videos. You know what I found? (laughs) It is only a very small minority in the community who are pushing this agenda. Most of the people in the community are content to be who they are and have you mind your business and they mind theirs. I was listening to an old-school community person who was gay back when Gay Wasn't Cool, one of those people who fought for the Gay Rights Bill, and she said, you know, I don't know what's, what's happened to this movement. If these people think they're going to push the world around into accepting their ideas, we're in for a whole lot of trouble. The community is going to suffer for this. She's right. The community is going to suffer for that because the old-school people knew how to do it. They got, the, they got the Gay Rights Bill passed without forcing anybody to do anything. They understood how society works. This new generation coming up doesn't understand how society works and doesn't have the patience to negotiate terms. They just want to make demands and everybody is to bow. But you are not God. And the world does not revolve around you or your sexuality. And quite frankly, you're spending too much time thinking about your sexuality anyway. There's much work to be done besides that. You put all your eggs in one basket. Only a fool does that. I'm coming straight down the course to be direct and to be clear about what we're talking about. I hope nobody minds. The world doesn't mind, actually, bending to the rules and the desires of the people because the world, actually, is just as lost as the community is. It's not because the world is too holy, it's not because the world is too righteous to participate in this ungodly sexual scheme. That's not what it is. The world is just as ungodly and the world is just as delusional as the community. What the world despises is the inconvenience of adhering to a pronoun and some gender rules. Word of advice to the community, if the community could simply simplify its philosophy and lessen their demands and demonstrate how society will benefit from their idea, they can get the world's buy-in. The world is just as evil as, as that. But even the world is reasonable. The people of God will never buy into this. The people of God should never buy into this. The people of God are bound to the truth of God's word. And any social construct that contradicts God's design and God's purpose must not gain traction in the church of Jesus Christ. It cannot gain traction in the church of Jesus Christ. So, gender is a social construction relating to behaviors and attitudes based on labels of masculinity and femininity. And while God did make your scientific gender, you are humankind, you are male or female, God did not establish social gender. Social gender is a social construct. The idea of masculinity and femininity are social constructs. God did not determine that there is, is a set of attributes and behaviors and roles associated to men and boys and a different set of attributes, behaviors, and roles associated with women and girls. God didn't decide that. Well, that's partly true. I'll come back to that later. For now, let's look at some of these attributes, roles, and behaviors that define masculinity and femininity. Hold on to your hats for this one. As it relates to attributes and behaviors, the masculine is aggressive, the feminine is not aggressive. The masculine is independent, the feminine is dependent. The masculine is not easily influenced, the feminine is easily influenced. The masculine is dominant, the feminine is submissive. The masculine is active. The feminine is passive. The masculine is worldly. The feminine is homebound. What, what? Anyway, keep going. The masculine is not easily hurt emotionally. The feminine is easily hurt emotionally. The masculine is decisive. The feminine is indecisive. The masculine is not talkative. The feminine is very talkative. The masculine is tough. The feminine is gentle. The masculine is logical, the feminine is emotional. The masculine is cruel, the feminine is kind. Who made this list? These are just some of the attributes and behaviors the world says differentiates the masculine from the feminine. Feminine. It goes on to talk about the role differences. The masculine works outside of the house. The feminine works inside of the house. The masculine is the breadwinner, the feminine is the house sitter. Tell that to the virtuous woman in the book of Proverbs that the masculine is the breadwinner. This, the world made this up. The world made this stuff up. The masculine is not involved with their children. The feminine life revolves around the children. The masculine takes out the trash. The feminine washes the dishes. The masculine is the protector. The feminine is the damsel in distress. The masculine does not cook, the feminine cooks. Tell that to Jesus when he was cooking fish for his disciples on the side of the seashore. Tell that to Jacob who cooked porridge for his family. Tell that to Abram who cooked for the men who came to visit he and Sarai in the middle, that that men don't cook, that the masculine don't cook. The world made this stuff up. This is arbitrary nonsense is what it is. Why am I reading it then? I'm reading it because these are the lists that they're giving to people to determine their gender spectrum. It's based on nonsense. You got your body spray? The masculine likes brute cologne. The feminine likes women's body spray. I love women's body spray. I think it's the coolest thing. I love peaches, I love flowers, I love orange. You come to me and tell me I'm feminine if you want to. I am not masculine because of what, I, what cologne I wear. That's trivial, that's too shallow. That is entirely too small. I like my, my body spray too. Hmm. I use all of it. She has that fruity passion stuff. I love that fruity passion smell. The world doesn't tell me what it is to be masculine. I am man. And I do not look outside of myself for a reflection to tell me when I'm doing it right, because whatever I do is man. If I put on high-heeled shoes and start carrying a purse, I am a man. If the young lady turns her hat backwards, pulls her pants down and shows male boxer shorts and Timberland boots, (laughs) she's still a woman. Your sex is not defined by what you wear by what kind of cologne you wear, this is foolishness. <laughs> I like that one, it smells really good. Then there are these behavioral differences between the masculine and the feminine. This, this is interesting. The masculine can take a joke, the feminine can't take a joke. That may be true kind of. The masculine is violent. Listen, listen, listen. The masculine is violent. The feminine is playful. The masculine is very blunt and direct. The feminine is very respectful. I joined the army at 18 years old. When I joined the army I weighed 110 pounds soaking wet. I was a very small man, a very small frame. You wouldn't believe it now, but life goes on. Life goes on. I was very passive. I was rather timid. I like to read. I like to walk. I like to talk. I am in touch with my emotions. Had they given me some spectrum back when I was 18 years old, they would have sworn, you're feminine. Maybe you need to have the surgery, boy. Foolishness. Masculinity and femininity can be learned. We're gonna talk about that in a minute. I'm gonna give you this example right now. Masculinity and femininity can be learned. They're not static things. I joined the army at 18 years old. I was passive, I was compliant, I was submissive. One year later, I was willing to kill anything and anybody that moved. You can learn masculinity. You can learn femininity. Humans are adaptable and we adapt according to the circumstances in which we find ourselves. You can be taught how to be masculine. So a girl feels like she's a boy and now she starts practicing how to act like a boy, how to walk like a boy, how to talk like a boy. She can do it. If we're looking at this definition of what masculine is, what she's gonna do is overdo it because this is a lie. And that's why you see them always overdoing it. You see the man who says he's a woman, and he's more woman than any woman I ever met because he doesn't know what he's doing and because he's looking at these lists. And these lists are telling him what a woman is, and so he's trying to be what this is saying. And women are looking and saying, huh? What, what are you doing? You're overdoing it because you don't know what you're doing. I was overdoing it. I became too masculine. I was so aggressive. I was, I jumped over a counter at a McDonald's and just went to war with everybody behind the counter. They had to call the police, drag me out of there. I was overdoing it. I became too masculine. It can be learned. To this day, after being in the military, I wish Alex Higgs was here, because Alex Higgs is is really deeper into it than I am. But when you're in the military, the military culture becomes you. And you become as masculine as masculine can be, because they want to be able to call you when they want to kill people, just send you to kill people. And you have to be able to do this when you get triggered. And so they train you this way. To this day, I've been out of the military for over 30 years, to this day, every once in a while when something happens, my hands clench like I'm a soldier just like this and I start walking really fast just like this. It's a learned behavior, it's a learned habit that I learned. I wasn't like that when I was a kid. I learned that habit and now sometimes instinctively just comes back and I start charging into stuff and I have to actually stop myself and allow the Holy Spirit to get control of me because I am beginning to practice a habit that looks just like that that is completely unhealthy. That is not masculinity, that is craziness. There is a time and a season for all things under the sun. There is a time to be aggressive and there is a time to be passive. There is a time to be blunt and direct. There is a time to be respectful and every human being has the capacity to do whatever they need to do in the moment in order to survive. This list is nonsense. My mother, my mother raised eight boys on the south side of Chicago, mostly with no man in the house. My mother could give you a shoulder massage that made you feel so comfortable. My mother could sweet speak into your ear words of confidence and empowerment that were just so amazing. And that same mother walked the streets at night with her 38 pistol in her hand like a gangster. Was she masculine or was she feminine? My mother was all woman. But she adapted to the situation to become what she needed to be in order to survive and raise a family. This list is nonsense. Not all women are passive. (laughs) Do I even need to say that? Not all women are passive. And not all men are aggressive. So you give me a spectrum of all these arbitrary characteristics and have me pinpoint which one I am based on some arbitrary test that makes no real sense in the real world. Completely subjective, always malleable, always transforming, never the same. If you give me the same gender spectrum test five days in a row, I guarantee you I will come out as five different genders based on what's going on in my life, based on the circumstances I'm facing today, based on whether I need to slap somebody or hug somebody. You can go get all kinds of different reactions from me. You can't base anything off of this nonsense. And people, why am I talking about it? People are using these texts to determine whether they're a boy or a girl. This shallow, silly thing is, people are using this stuff to determine whether they are male or female, it's destructive. It's causing mass confusion. And it needs to stop. I have traveled the world. I have met men and women around the world. I have never met a single man who who was nearly as masculine as that list pretends. I've never met that guy. Such a person does not exist not in this world, and not even in the Bible. And I could bring it home just by saying this, you compare Jesus to that list, and Jesus should have had sex sex surgery. If you compare Jesus to that masculine list, he doesn't check any other boxes, man. Jesus Christ is the most manly man to ever walk the face of this earth. (laughs) and He does not fit the bill for what they're describing here. That tells me that it is nonsense, that it is irrelevant. And that is what it is. These lists of attributes, behaviors, and roles are delusional misconceptions, and that's being polite. There are a number of factors that shape a person. There are a number of factors that shape a person's attributes and behaviors and roles and responsibilities in the world. Listen to this. I've been to every state in the Union. Has anybody been to every state in, in the Union? I've been to every state in the Union. I've, tra- I've traveled the whole country, and I can answer. that a man in Texas looks different than a man in Michigan. I've traveled the world, I've been to every state in this country, I've been to Alaska. I've been on little islands in Alaska and I can tell you for for sure that femininity in Alaska does not look like femininity in Hawaii. This is arbitrary. This is based on the needs of the moment. A woman living in 10 feet, 20 feet of snow every day, that woman will put her boots on, put her big coat on, take her big dog by the chain and go outside and chop down a tree. Femininity looks different based upon location. Can you see that? A man in Mississippi does not look like a man in Chicago. They don't look the same. You don't experience them the same and they do not project the same. (laughs) I'll take it one step further. I was in Korea for two years. A man in Korea Doesn't look like a man in most of the world. I lived with Koreans in my dorm room for two years. I know what a Korean man is. He does not look like most other men in the whole world. Men in Korea and women in Korea like to hold hands when they walk down the street. It is nothing to see two men in Korea walking down the street holding hands. And when you're from America, you see it and say, oh my goodness, this place is full of it. No, you find out real quick, they're manly men. They just have a deep connection to one another, to people. They have this deep sense of of, of belonging with one another. It is very interesting. It's intriguing even. The only person I've ever known like that is in the Bible. Who was it? Who was it? David. When Jonathan died, David said, Jonathan, my love for you was greater than the love of women. That brother loved himself from Jonathan. He was a manly man. And if you walked up to him and said, you love women, you must be feminine. He would have taken out his sword and left your head on the ground. You decide. In fact, of all of the men in the Bible, the most balanced man I see in the whole Bible as far as these lists are concerned, David is the most balanced. David is extremely violent, but David is extremely emotional. He is in touch with his emotions. You read the book of Psalms, man. David was in touch with himself. He understood his emotions very well. (sighs) (sighs) My point is simply that environment, Social learning play a large part in whether a person is masculine or feminine. It has nothing to do with your sex at all, it's just a social construct. A kid grows up watching men in society and he tends to emulate the men that he sees and he becomes like them. I joined the army because I saw a movie with General Patton. I joined the army because of a movie, yeah I did. Because General Patton, at the end of the movie, he says, no, I'm sorry, General MacArthur. MacArthur says, real soldiers don't die. We just fade away. Wow. (laughs) I went to the recruitment office the next morning. He blew my mind. That blew my mind. Real soldiers don't die, we just fade away. You can't kill us, we just fade away. For me, that was masculinity. That is manly right there, I'm gonna be like that, God. You learn masculinity from the people that you admire, that you, you want to emulate them. It has nothing to, you know what I'm saying? It has nothing to do with your sex. You can't make decisions about your sex based upon your these characteristics, you can't do it. It's unwise. And so now I'm going to close with this. I'm sorry I'm taking so long, but it is too much information. I actually warned you in the title. So I'm going to end with this. The first, what I believe, is the first incidence of social construction in the Bible. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 through 19, the Bible says that Adam, to Adam God said this, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you not to eat, Cursed is the ground because of you, Adam. With hard labor you shall eat from the ground all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. You shall eat the plants of the field, and by the sweat of your face you shall eat your bread until you return to the ground." That's God's punishment to Adam, the man. That is God's role assignment to Adam. You will do hard physical labor all the days of your life. You will be a farmer, you will plow the ground, you will work until you sweat, you will be a vegetarian. This is God's list of attributes, expectations, and roles for the first man. This was God's assigned role to Adam, that's all. And as far as Adam understood it, that is what a man is. That is what a man does, so when his boys come of age, Cain and Abel, I'm sure he told them the story. This is manhood. This is what manhood looks like. I'm tired, daddy. Boy, be a man. I don't want to do this, No, more. I don't, I don't, this is not for me, daddy. What do you mean? You're, not, you're a man, aren't you? Yeah, I'm a man. Well, stop that crying and get to work. Don't waste your water on your, your forehead. Waste your water out of your eyes. Don't waste your water out of your eyes. Waste it off your forehead, boy. Go to work. Hands all this is what it means to be a man So as boys come of age Adam tells the story I got some bad news for you guys. We're under punishment The man is under punishment from God And I've trained you as best I can to obey his role assignments for your gender And so you have to till the field and you have to sweat from your brow and you're going to be frustrated most of your life and always very tired and exhausted and crabby because you're out there in the hot sun all day. I'm sorry, sons, but it is what it is. That's what it looks like to be a man. He tells the story to both of his boys, I'm sure, but apparently they heard Mr. Adam differently. The Bible says in Genesis chapter four, verse one, the man had relations with his wife Eve and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have obtained a male child with the help of the Lord, thank you Jesus. And again, he didn't say thank you Jesus, I said thank you Jesus. And again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the flocks. Wait a minute, wait a minute, that's not the punishment. That's not what it means to be a man, God. Didn't tell anybody to keep them flocks. What are you doing Abel? That's not the plan. Keeper of flocks. That's not what dad taught us, uh, Abel. God didn't say that to be a man is to keep flocks. That's not what men do, Abel. Men plow the field. Men work really hard. We do a whole lot of sweating. That's what it is to be a man. Well, maybe, maybe Abel wasn't a manly man then because Abel decided he was going to keep flocks instead of plowing the ground. But Cain complied. Cain complied and Cain came to fit the mold of his father Adam. He became the kind of man his father was. He became masculine by learning. The text says that he learned his role for manhood by watching his father. The the text, I'm sorry. He learned his role of manhood by watching his father, and that's how most young people evolve into womanhood. That's how most young people evolve into manhood, by watching their mother, by watching their father, by watching the prominent males and females in their community. That's how most young people come into their own, by watching men and women, by imitating what they see. The text said that Cain, like his father, became a cultivator of the ground just like his daddy, and that's a manly man, right? That's a manly man to work real hard. He looks like his dad, no doubt he has the same back problems his father has, no doubt he has the same frustrations that his father has, no doubt he's very strong, very buff from tilling that hard ground all the time, no doubt, he's a manly man. But Abel was not a manly man. Abel was not a manly man in the eyes of Cain anyway. Abel spent his days and nights strolling around with the sheep whistling, singing songs, barely ever sweating. Abel was getting good night's sleep every night. Abel probably was creative, It probably was a little poetic because he spent so much time by himself, he had so much time to imagine. Probably wasn't very easily frustrated like his brother Cain, like his daddy Adam either. He was probably more gentle than them because you have to be gentle with sheep. So he was probably a little more timid than they were. On the gender spectrum, maybe Abel would have scored more feminine points than his brother Cain. And it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord from the fruit of the ground. Here comes Cain now, Cain is obeying the rules his father laid out for him, and he brings to God this offering, this sacrifice from the ground of all these fruit. I worked really hard, I sweated like you told me to. Here's, Here's your reward, God. Here's my gift to you, the fruit of the ground that I've tilled, but my brother Abel is coming. He's not a manly man, he hasn't followed the masculine rules that they've been assigned, and so forgive him, Lord, for he's about to sin. Abel comes and Abel offers to the Lord the firstborn of the flock of their fat portion. And I can hear Cain in the background cracking up. You think God wants some meat? God said that a man was supposed to the ground. You should have brought some vegetables. Now you're gonna be in trouble because you are not a manly man. You are not a hard worker. You don't sweat from your brow like God said you should. You've been taking it easy, Abel. But listen to what the text says. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, God had no regard. The manly man who checked all of the right boxes was rejected by God. Masculinity is a social construct that has no value to God or to the kingdom of God and Cain turns around and murders his brother just like that masculinity list. He was too aggressive and he was too violent. Sounds just like something that kind of masculinity would do but masculinity is not manhood. Masculinity has nothing to do with manhood. Masculinity is a social construct, and I'm going to end with this. As you go through the Bible, you find out that God really doesn't mind very much what characteristics or attributes the woman or the man really has. He doesn't really care. He took a woman and made her the general of Israel's army. Jacob was a cook. Pharaoh's baker was a man. He was a cook, Jesus cooked. Esau was the manly man, Jacob was the wimp, God chose Jacob. You read scripture and you find it over and over again, the manly man never succeeds. Samson was the bad boy, Gideon was a coward, Gideon won in the face of God. <laughs> manly man don't mean anything to God, it is irrelevant because in God's economy, guess what? There is no such thing as a manly man man in God's economy there is no such thing as a masculine man a man is a man (laughs) that is all and so as far as this church is concerned as far as the body of Christ is concerned that gender spectrum is just foolishness and we pay it no regard because in God's economy it means absolutely Nothing. <laughs> That's gender. Maybe you're sitting here right now thinking, Calvin, that was a really long explanation about gender. Man, where are you going with this? Next week, we're going to see where we're going. Because the world is going to take gender next week, and, and they're going to form gender identity. And then we're going to see where the real problem lies. Next week, we ask the question, who made your gender identity? That's next week. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, well my Father and my God, I thank you for the people being patient as I go through these complicated explanations. I thank you Father God for bringing clarity to us, for guiding and directing us to understand how we are to interact with the world in which we live not seek to judge the world, we do not seek to judge the people in the world, only to find our place in these social structures and restructuring that the world is doing. That you might guide us by the light of your word to only honor and adhere to those things that are in compliance with the word of God and to reject all else. And at the very minimum, either to conceive the social constructs of this world as neither here nor there we can take them or we can leave them. Help us not to put too much stock in these worldly philosophies that are causing so much strife and trauma and confusion to our young people. Help us to stand up for the body of Christ. Help us to defend our children from this confusion. Help us to give them a clear path in which to walk to accomplish your will in the world. Thank you for this time together today. In Jesus' name, amen.